Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Donut Racing Show, where we bring a cash for gold mindset to the Swiss bank obsessed podium of Formula One racing. I'm Alanis King, and I am joined by my co-host, Elizabeth Blackstock. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, how's it going? I'm doing great. Um, are we missing something today? I think we're missing someone. Who? I think his name is Nolan. I can't, I don't know. I can't remember. I, I've completely forgotten. Um, I heard he's on vacation. What do we think he's doing, Elizabeth? Uh, I think he's having a soul quest right now. Oh, He's plumbing the depths quest. of his soul. Do we think he's in the mountains? No, he's definitely in the, he's got to be in the desert. Oh, so he's just out there like there's a drought going on. He's mm-hmm. like... <gasps> Yeah, exactly. He's like seeing things. Mm-hmm. He's having like those desert hallucinations. He's gonna come back here a changed man. He is. We're not gonna recognize him. You think he's gonna have like a new name or something? He's definitely gonna have to have a new name. Like Soul Burner oh, or something. Soul Burner. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, well, yeah. Soul Burner, we hope you are having a wonderful time in the desert or wherever you are. Um, we miss you. But Elizabeth and I. We're at NASCAR this weekend. We saw each other yesterday. And do you know who else was at NASCAR this weekend? Some Formula One drivers. Oh, baby. (laughs) We had Jensen Button making his Cup Series debut. And we had Kimi Raikkonen, who I believe this was his second Cup Series race, correct? 
This was his second Cup Series race. So um, if you didn't know the Kimi Raikkonen lore back in like 2010, 2011, he did some Truck Series races Mm -hmm. and some Xfinity Series races. So in NASCAR, the top three national series are the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series. And so he did those two lower ones um, in 2010, 2011, whatever. Some of his best quotes were, um, where's my drink, of course, my ass is hot in here. Mm-hmm. He was calling the cars terrible. Um, he hated it. And now he's back. Yeah. And it seemed like he had a great time. I didn't actually get to sit in on his press conferences because I was late and was not interested in arriving at the track at 9 a.m. Uh, after an hour and a half drive. But Jensen Button had a lot of really fun quotes in his press conference that I got to sit in on. Uh, he forgot how to start the car. Uh, He said that he had not driven a sequential gearbox since 1999. He was blown away by the fact that when he was on a fast lap, no one was moving out of the way for him. No. I got to interview him afterward and he was like, I'm going to bring that up at the driver's meeting and I just want to see how many people will boo and yell at me. We stopped by, Elizabeth and I, to see Kimi Raikkonen's car and we wanted a glimpse of Kimi Raikkonen and we were like, where's Kimi? And this group in front of us, this group of young women, they were like, we hear he's in the bathroom. We just want a photo with him, but they said he's in the bathroom. Yeah. And it's like two minutes before he's supposed to get in the car. He's in the bathroom. And it's yeah. just like, Kimmy doesn't even care. Like, There's an iconic Kimmy video out there, if you're not familiar, where an interviewer during Formula One, I believe, goes up to him and was like, where were you? And he was like, ah, I was having a that's his. That's his quote. Yep. And it wasn't just Kimmy and Jensen. Gunther Steiner was on the NASCAR broadcast this mm-hmm. weekend. And the funniest thing was all of the NASCAR viewers were like, you can tell that Gunther is just more reserved. He's not talking as much as the other commentators. You can tell there's like there's a gap of knowledge there. He doesn't know as much about NASCAR as the other commentators. And everybody was like, do you know that he ran the Red Bull NASCAR Cup team? Like he knows about NASCAR. There were just five people in that commentary booth, so it was, it's a lot. It's a and lot Guther's to- not going to talk over. It's just like it's just like when you're out on track, the NASCAR drivers are hitting each other. The Formula One drivers are like, I don't just hit people for fun. The NASCAR drivers in the booth talk over each other. Guther's not going to talk over people for fun. Like, we got to be polite. Um, I saw him on Pit Road. I was like, hey, buddy, I wrote that book about your team. How's it going? Everybody was so excited to have him there. Um, Clint Boyer is one of the NASCAR commentators, and he has this really, really country accent. So the whole weekend, he was like, so, Gunther, how do you feel about this? And it was like, Gunther, the whole time, Gunther, Gunther, Gunther. Hard emphasis on the gun. Gun, gun, gun. (laughs) It was like subliminal messaging or something. It was amazing. It was a lot. Um, It was a great weekend. Elizabeth and I had so much fun. And I just think it goes to show that like NASCAR and Formula One, very different. There were... There were barely any track limits this weekend. There were only track limits like in the S's. The Formula One drivers, you can tell during the race and during qualifying, all the NASCAR drivers are way off the track. They're way out of track limits. And all the Formula One drivers are like staying in track limits. It It was really cute because like they weren't, they're not supposed to leave track limits and they have to get used to the fact that you can just... If there's pavement, you can run on it in NASCAR. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it's a very fascinating weekend. I loved watching it. I think Elizabeth did too. Had a great time. We had, it was wonderful. And now we are back in business for Formula One because this weekend we've got a race coming up. But 
We've got an order of business to address here. We want to apologize to all of our wonderful strollophiles out there. We beefed a fact. We pulled our notes from the broadcast. Who also beefed a fact? Uh, <laughs> the broadcast mentioned that Lance Stroll had never qualified in Q3 before. Uh, actually, he did. He got pole position in Turkey in 2020. I am one of those people who forgot that 2020 existed. Uh, so we were all sitting there like, I think this seems weird, but I guess because they said it. You said that, Elizabeth, and I was like, huh, Lance Stroll's yeah. never been to Q3? Interesting. All right. <laughs> so thank you to all of our listeners. We are so sorry that we got that one wrong. We will be doing better in the future. Personally, I want to apologize to Lance Stroll. I'm supposed to be your new biggest fan, and I I, I just dropped the ball. It's embarrassing, honestly. That's really awful. She spent the whole like front end of the episode, like we do the intro and she's like, I am now the biggest Lance Stroll fan in the world. I have been this for three days. And then two minutes later, she's like, did you know Lance Stroll has never been in Q3? And I was like, no, I didn't, but I'll take it from you. I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan of Lance Stroll, but you know what I'm not a fan of? Facts. We are so sorry, Lance. Today's episode, it's going to be a doozy. We are going to talk about why the Formula One calendar is organized the way it is, and then we're going to get into what we can expect from this coming weekend's race at the Australian Grand Prix. If you've been watching Formula One for a few years, there's a good chance you associate the Australian Grand Prix with being the season opener. I do too, and every time we open somewhere other than Australia, I get very, very, very confused. So Australia has hosted more opening rounds of F1 than any other country. In fact, between the 1996 Australian Grand Prix, which was when the race first moved to Albert Park, and the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Australia only failed to host the season opener twice. In 2006 and 2010, we did not start the season in Australia. Aside from that, between 1996 and 2020, that was what we did. After the pandemic broke out, we didn't have a Grand Prix opener in Australia for two years. Um, but when F1 did return to Albert Park, the circuit was bumped a little further down the calendar. So I feel like Australia kind of got the, the short end of the stick here. They were the season opener for many, many years. And then the pandemic happens and then they're like, we got to open in other places. We got to go to the same track twice a few times. We got to do this. We're not going to Australia. And then when Australia comes back, not at the front anymore. If you remember as well, uh, if you were watching Formula One at that time, everything was starting to shut down in March around the world. And the Formula One circus had arrived in Australia only to then find out, actually, we're going to be canceling this race. It was very surreal to watch that happen uh, play out in real time. And you can also see that in Drive to Survive. They talked about it a little bit uh, in one of the seasons about 2020. Man, it has been a long time since I have seen that season of Drive to Survive. I feel like I've aged a thousand years since then. <laughs> I feel like I have aged so many years since Drive to Survive came out. And also just like a weird note on Drive to Survive, I almost didn't watch it when it first came out. I was like, why do I want to watch a Formula One documentary? I watched all this. And now look at Drive to Survive. Isn't that kind of crazy? Anyway... We figured this was a good time as ever to talk about why exactly the Formula One calendar is organized the way it is, because we're heading to Australia soon, not at the front of the calendar. If we had to sum it up in just three words, it would be history, logistics, and money. Which is pretty much what everything in Formula One comes down to, I think. Yes. 
As with most things here in F1, the calendar and scheduling is really deeply rooted in historical precedent. That comes down to a lot of different factors, such as the design of the track, its location, and even the time of year when that race takes place. Um, I think the easiest example of this is the Monaco Grand Prix. That race first kicked off in the 1920s. It existed decades before Formula One was even a thought in anyone's mind. Uh, That first race took place around the streets of Monte Carlo in 1929, and it's been run just about every single year since then, with the exception of the World Wars and the 2020 pandemic. Uh, But for its first few runnings, it actually bounced around a lot. So we associate this race now being the last Sunday in May. That wasn't always the case. That first running took place in April. It popped up in August. It was all over. And I honestly think people would be surprised to know that Monaco didn't actually secure a place in the Formula One calendar for a very long time. It popped up on that first season in 1950, but it didn't come back again until 1955. And at that point, it was the season opener uh, and was the season opener for, I think, two or three other years, um, starting in 1959. But in that era, the Indy 500 actually counted as a Formula One race, not the Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah, no one showed up, but it was there. It was still there. Why would you design a car for an oval if it was just one race? I think what's really interesting is that like the global calendar has really evolved to focus on Monaco and Indy on the same day because you wake up on that Sunday in May and you watch the Monaco Grand Prix at like seven o'clock in the morning in the United States. And then you watch the Indy 500 at 11 o'clock in the morning in the United States. And then at 6 p.m. here comes the grand finale of them all, the Coca-Cola 600. NASCAR! Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's the best day in racing. I'm not going to lie. Like, every year, I just thrive. It is. And Elizabeth and I are both going to the Indy 500 this year. Um, Unfortunately, it is not a Formula One race, but we're both going. Yeah, we're gonna, and we're going to have a great time. And maybe there will be Formula One drivers there. There'll be Roman Grosjean. We'll, we will see Roman Grosjean, definitely. He will be there. It was suggested um, that I wear Roman Grosjean's fire suit to the Indianapolis 500. So if you don't know, um, Roman Grosjean actually sold his Rich Energy fire suit from the Rich Energy Haas Formula One team, and I bought it. (laughs) So it's in my closet. Uh, I'm going to display it. But Roman Grosjean has legs the size of desk legs, like like those tiny little like antique desk legs. I have legs the size of a Thanksgiving ham. So (laughs) (laughs) you you start putting on that fire suit and, you know, it'll get past the ankles. It'll get past the calves. But once you get up on them thighs, it is Thanksgiving. And that is that does not fit. Um, My hips don't fit. My thighs don't fit. Eat a cheeseburger. You have the 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 physical form of a pencil. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to F1 and the historical precedent of the F1 calendars. So when we talk about that historical precedent, we're usually talking kind of about the rough design of racetracks that exist in Europe. And especially as those races take place in the warmer months of the year, because it's, you know, climate is cold if you try to host that in March. In 1950, that was F1's first year of the championship. Four of the seven season races took place on tracks that F1 still uses in some capacity. Silverstone, Monaco, Spa, and Monza. Over the years, obviously, those tracks have been modernized. Spa was an absolutely massive circuit, 12 kilometers, I think it was. 
they cut that down. It's now a reasonable lap time. But some of the general scheduling has stayed the same since that first year. Monaco was in May, Spa was in the summer, and Monza was in September. And of course, we've almost tripled the number of F1 circuits since then. But other tracks like Zandvoort in the Netherlands, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico, and the Red Bull Ring in Austria, and even Interlagos in Brazil, all came into play within the first 25 years of F1. Obviously, most of those names were different back then. Red Bull did not exist in 1970 when that, <laughs> in the 70s when that track came up. I feel like if Red Bull existed in the 70s, that would have been a wild time. I don't think the 1970s needed an energy drink on top of the cocaine they were doing. Other scheduling cues kind of remain the same as well. So the North American races fell at the end of the calendar, no matter where they were located. Uh, and the season often kicked off in a much hotter climate. So that was Argentina, Brazil, Australia, Bahrain, and we even had season openers here in America out in California. We're going to have like 10 F1 races in America here pretty soon, though. So like, I hope so. They should do it like NASCAR does um, the Dash for Cash and the Triple Truck Challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so in NASCAR, if you win a certain set of races, you, like, get a bonus prize. I th- We have three races in America. We absolutely need to award, like, something to the champion of those three races. Like, whoever has the most points. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well. Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Next, we move into logistics. To be able to host an F1 race, organizers have to agree that the tracks are F1 worthy. And this is more than just some subjective like, okay, we like you. Yeah, well, we like you 100%. Um, No, this is a whole thing. So right now there are 39 different circuits and 46 different layouts that can host an F1 race. So all of those tracks are grade one tracks. This changes all the time. So some tracks like Bahrain, they have multiple layouts that have been used in F1. Um, We saw this in 2020. So we had a Bahrain Grand Prix on the usual circuit. And then we had a Bahrain Grand Prix on the different circuit because we had to go to Bahrain twice. So they do this to change it up a little, you know, and it was something that we had to do in 2020 because of the fact that We weren't going around the world like normal. So they use multiple layouts. That counts as a layout, but it's one circuit. It takes a lot of work to keep a track at grade one. The FIA has rules about things like the size of pit lane, the size of the starting grid, the degree of allowable banking, the types of safety barriers used, and the facilities available in the medical center. That's among a lot of different criteria that it uses to evaluate the quality of a circuit. So 
This changes depending on what the circuit is too. So when you build a new F1 track, take Circuit of the Americas when it was built in like the early 2010s, that has a different safety criteria than Monaco. So Circuit of the Americas is a standalone track. You will look at this track and you will see it has tons of runoff. All of that like stars and stripes stuff you see that leads into the gravel traps, that allows the cars to have tons of runoff to catch themselves and slow down before you hit a wall. You get stuck in the gravel trap, you're on the asphalt. You go to a street circuit like Monaco, that's not possible. You cannot have like tons and tons and tons and tons of runoff for these cars to slow themselves down on. So what constitutes a grade one track depends on what that track is. So if you were to buy a plot of land and build a new F1 track right now, you would be held to different standards than some of the existing F1 tracks. That's just kind of how it is. And that's part of why the Miami Grand Prix takes place kind of in a parking lot. It's to enable there to be that extra, that padding and that space for runoff areas. It's a very, um, very strict set of rules. That's not the only logistical challenge that F1 and the FIA face when they're organizing a calendar. Travel and climate are also really big factors. So obviously you have to guarantee that it's actually possible for F1's teams to ship their race cars from one track to the next. It's most easy to point out the physical distance between these tracks as like a big thing that could stop them from shipping from one track to another. It makes sense, you know, to schedule a bunch of races in Asia or around that area so that we can ship shorter distances between the tracks. But it's also important to consider the routes that the team has to take to get from one country to another, along with the requirements to enter that country. So we're dealing with a lot of factors here. Um, in 2021, a cargo plane actually got stuck at the Miami airport and delayed the arrival of some of the team's gear in Brazil. So there was like this whole freak out for a little while. Like, are the teams going to make it? What's going to happen if they don't make it? What are we going to do? Do you remember this specific time, Elizabeth, where we were I like, do. oh no. I think it was like Ferrari or something. Like we might actually have a, yeah. te a team racing because their plane got stuck. So if physical distance is a big concern, you're probably wondering why the calendar bounces from Miami to Europe to Canada and then back to the United States in October and November for Austin and Vegas. We have an answer for that. Logistics also takes into account market oversaturation. So I had the chance to speak to someone on background a little bit earlier this year about how you get these international motorsports schedules planned. This was for a totally different series. Uh, if you have a diehard fan in like Kansas, you want that person to travel to multiple races. So ideally you'd get them to Miami in the spring and then you'd get them to Coda or Vegas in the fall. But those are it's a, it's a problem if you put all of those races into a short period of time. They probably can't afford it and they probably can't take that time off of work. If you space them all out though, you've got a much a much better chance of actually having that fan from Kansas, travel to multiple places. It's also worth noting this is kind of less of a logistical issue in Europe because most teams and fans are assumed to be located in Europe or the UK. Uh, they are assumed to have the ability and the finances to travel more easily during those summer months uh, because a lot of European countries have mandatory vacation periods for yeah. everyone. Wouldn't and it be lovely? Yeah, it would be nice. Uh, and the races there are also generally a little bit cheaper than what you find over here in America. 
sometimes you'll email someone in Europe and they're out of office will just be like, I'm on holiday for the next two months. And I'm like, must be nice. Why do I live here? <laughs> Why I do I live in the United States? I haven't taken States? a vacation since I ever. I take vacation to do more work. <laughs> yeah. I, I go to race car. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to cost-benefit analysis about whether or not the sport is going to benefit by dispersing the calendar locations or keeping them all stuck together. Yeah, and that also brings us to climate. So you just can't physically host a race in certain places at certain times of the year. Even though most F1 teams are based in England, you couldn't host the season opener at Silverstone because the weather is garbage. It would be terrible. No one would have fun. You also wouldn't want a summer race in Texas for the same reason. I speak as someone who has been to a summer race in Texas. Elizabeth has also been, and instead of hydrating with water, she was drinking margaritas, and I was like, this is the most horrific thing I've ever seen. It's got salt on the rim. You need the electrolytes. (laughs) Don't listen to her for life advice. It was a hundred and something degrees, and she's out there drinking margaritas. Double shot margaritas. It was awful. But fan turnout and race pace are both impacted by weather, so it makes sense that organizers would want a race to take place in an area when the weather is nice in that area, you know? And if you're wondering about all those grade one circuits that exist in the world but haven't made it onto the calendar, there are a lot of reasons for that, and it's kind of complex. Some circuits don't want to host F1. Some circuits don't have the money. Some circuits were, like, supposed to be built and host an F1 race, and it didn't happen. Sometimes the political situation makes it challenging to host an event, unless that country has enough money to buy away the political situation. Um, There just might not be room for it on the calendar during that country's prime good weather months either. Like, usually it's a combination of all these things. There's a lot that goes on. That brings us down to money, the other big important factor here in Formula One. We got really in-depth into the role that money plays in F1's race organization in a previous episode called F1's Dark Money Problem is Here to Stay, uh, where we use Saudi Arabia as an example. To put it pretty simply, though, the more money that a track can give to F1, the more likely it is to end up on the schedule. So in order to host a race, circuits have to pay sanctioning fees to F1 each year, which basically serves as a way to encourage F1 to come back to your track, but not anyone else's. F1 doesn't really like to get into detail about money or fees or salaries or contracts for literally anything, but it can be possible to figure out roughly what each circuit is paying to host an F1 race. You'll remember this, Elizabeth, back in like 2015. We've mentioned this before. There was a time when Austin was not sure it wanted to pay F1 sanctioning fee because Mm -hmm. it was like, 21 million dollars or something and all of the f1 races that had happened at circuit of the americas at this point had been a disaster like they had been rain outs terrible turnout like no one was coming to this stuff it was really really rough and austin was like we don't know if we want to use taxes to help fund this and here we are like eight years later and f1 in austin is a record-breaking attendance event yeah so texas has a like an entertainment budget that it has to host really big things like sporting events or concerts. Texas slashed the amount of money it was willing to pay to F1 to host a Grand Prix after the 2015 U.S. Grand Prix got rained out thanks to a hurricane. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was there. It was fun. It was great I was there too. Um, Yeah. Knee high in mud. It was disgusting. My boots, I still have the boots that I wore there. Uh, They still have mud on them. It's fine. It was Uh, disgusting. Yeah, but it discouraged a lot of fans from attending, and it was a hot mess. 
all of there, there were problems with the parking lots. There were problems with the shuttle buses. I waited four hours for a bus back to, to downtown. It left Texas struggling to justify the expense of hosting an F1 race. And F1 seemed like it struggled to justify shipping teams and drivers to America for a significantly lower fee. Uh, thankfully for us here in Texas, Austin and F1 renegotiated the terms of that contract. So we still have that race. Uh, but that sanctioning fee debate really rages on still. Uh, Racing 365 put together the numbers for the 2022 season based on a ton of different avenues of research and talking to a lot of people. As we talked about in a previous episode, countries that have been really politically contentious in the eyes of Westerners generally pay a lot more than other tracks. In 2022, Qatar and Saudi Arabia topped the charts at $55 million, for example. Oof. Yeah, but historical tracks that have been part of F1's calendar for ages don't really have to pay anywhere near as much. Like Monaco's sanctioning fee is the lowest on the calendar at $15 million. Imola is another historic track that returned to F1 as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And it also only has to pay $20 million. And Spa, same thing. Been on the calendar since 1950 in one form or fashion for, you know, despite a couple breaks. And it only shells out $22 million to host a race. Mm. As we mentioned with Austin, the fee that they're currently paying, and they had a 10-year deal for a $25 million yearly sanctioning fee. Uh, that was supposed to be slashed, I think, by about half um, during the 2015 debacle. That's a lot of money. We were both at that 2015 race, and it was looking disastrous for F1 in America. And I remember at the time, like, there was a lot of drama about power units in Formula One, because you'll remember... Formula One went to the hybrids in 2014. So this was a year after that. There's a lot of drama about power units. There was a lot of drama about all this stuff. Bernie Ecclestone was really mad at the media for how they were covering stuff. So I got a call randomly um, on, I think, like Saturday morning. And they were like, hey, Bernie Ecclestone wants you in a meeting in 30 minutes. Can you be here? And I was like, am I being detained? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't know that I want to come to a meeting with Bernie Ecclestone. Like, am I in trouble? And they were like, no, he just wants you to be there. Like he selected, like we selected these outlets as a group and you are one of them. Can you be here in 30 minutes? It's closed door. And I was like, ah, I guess as long as like there's no punishment going on. And so I showed up and it's Bernie and Nikki Lauda and Toto Wolf. And they were all, man, they were not happy. They were having a bad day. And I just sat there for like 90 minutes and listened to these dudes like complain. It was crazy. That's insane. Like round table meeting with Nikki, Toto, and Bernie. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, this is my first F1 race. Alanis was a legitimate journalist. Uh, at that point, and I was not. I was I in was, college. I, I was, was in college. Yeah, so was I. I was slumming in the grandstands drinking beer and getting wet. And I was <laughs> freaking sitting with Bernie Ecclestone. And I, like, specifically remember running into this closed-door meeting and, like, everything is wet. See, the worst part about that was I had gone to the race the previous year and told all of my European friends what a great and fantastic time the United States Grand Prix is because it's sunny and it's warm and it's not going to rain. Guess what? They all showed up and we got freaking downpoured on. It turned nice and beautiful and sunny on Monday as soon as I was taking everyone to the airport. Well, the future of F1 in America is a lot brighter than it was back then. And the future of the calendars, we should talk about that too. Um, 
F1 caught a lot of flack from fans when it announced its 2023 calendar because the organization seems to actively negate anything eco-friendly and sustainable, and F1 has been all about that eco-friendly and sustainable messaging lately. Different people have calculated that the miles that F1 will travel this year and the distances between races alone is more than 80,000 miles. That isn't taking into account traveling home, doing all of that. Like This is kind of a bare minimum number here, and that is a lot of miles. In the future, F1 has said it'll prioritize a more regionalized calendar, which means that each continent will pretty much have its own mini-season. The whole goal is to reduce emissions caused by the travel of team personnel and freight shipping and all of that. That comprises most of F1's carbon emissions during a season. And if you look at its sustainability report, it has like this little pie chart about emissions. And power unit emissions is 0.7%. The problems with motorsport and the climate are not the fact that we are racing cars mindlessly in circles. It's the fact that we have to ship all of this nonsense across the world to be able to do that. So in this recent sustainability report from F1, it says business travel is 27.7% of emissions. Logistics is 45% of emissions. Event operations is only 7.3%. Facilities and factories are 19.3%. And power unit is 0.7. Kind of wild. But until F1 like reorganizes its calendar and makes it more climate friendly, we will very likely continue to see a schedule shaped by historical precedent and logistics with a little extra attention given to the highest bidder because, you know, we like money. I love money. So that's all we had for you about our calendar organization. But coming up this weekend, we've got the Australian Grand Prix. And you know what that means. It's time to lace up those tennies, get your step count ready, and hit the track walk. The 3.28 mile Melbourne Grand Prix circuit hosted its first Australian Grand Prix in 1996. The Grand Prix itself is 58 laps, and it uses a mix of existing roads around Albert Park with a detour through the Lakeside Stadium's car park. So if you're over there, you can actually see the roads that they use for the F1 race. The circuit is known for starting the weekend slippery, but traction increases as the sessions progress. It's also one of the fastest tracks on the calendar. Lewis Hamilton's pole lap in 2019 set an average of more than 146 miles per hour. Elizabeth, what are your feelings on Melbourne as a circuit? And what do you think we're going to see this weekend? See, the thing that I love about Australia is like, it has such a warm, fuzzy place in my heart because it was like the season opener for so long. And here in America, you're watching this race at like midnight. So it's just this fever dream of an event. Because it was the first race of the season, I was like always super jazzed and stoked. Like I remember waking up in high school to to watch these things, Um, even Friday practice because I was a nerd. It finally feels like the season has started, if that makes sense, just because this has historically been that season opening race. When I think about like the opening race of the season, I always think about Melbourne. And I think about that Sky Sports graphic where they show the outline of the circuit and they like walk you through it in this really dramatic voice. And they talk about the elevation changes and all of the turns and they show like the historic moments in every turn. And I'm just like, yeah, it gets me really hyped for the season. But I guess Melbourne hasn't been the season opener for a few years now. So like I'm really dated, but that's what I think about. I live in the past, like fully. So 
It's fine. Me too. I think it's fine. Um, what do we think we're going to see this weekend? I kind of think we're going to see more of the same. Yeah, I was. So I was talking to NASCAR reporter Jeff Gluck about this actually during Jeff, the NASCAR. That's my dude. We love you, Jeff. You're a great guy. Uh, and he was talking about how unfortunate, like, he thinks it is that so many fans got into the sport in 2021 where there was this big, exciting championship battle. And, like, now it just kind of is the same thing. Now it's back to normal. Yeah, now it's back to normal. And it's the same dominance we've seen, you know, not not necessarily from Red Bull over the years, but from Mercedes and then Red Bull and then Ferrari and all of that other nonsense. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, I'm not really thinking uh, we're going to see anything spicy. (laughs) What I'm kind of wondering is, does F1 regret going to the 2022 rules package like that rules package Mm. was meant to make the racing better and meant to make the cars more competitive and closer and we're starting to see aston martin catch up but 2021 is easily the most exciting season we have had in a very long time and immediately after that we had a complete dud with a new rules package that was supposed to make the racing and the competition better like it's weird because i think like the midfield fighting has gotten better Mm -hmm. but red bull was just so far ahead that what are you supposed to do no one mario really have that battle yeah exactly we just throwing bananas out here now um but it was it was fascinating to me that that we got to the end of that former rules package and that was when it started to get really exciting because finally at that point everyone had started to figure it out Yes. Everyone realized, like, oh, wait, here's how we're going to format this stuff. And I feel like if we had continued that, we would still be having great battles between Max and Lewis. And we're not anymore because we did that swap, which I think is kind of frustrating. I think racing series generally fear everyone figuring out the rules package because yeah. when people don't figure, like, when they don't have it figured out, you often see more parity, right? Like, you have people messing up, you have mechanical issues, you have cars that aren't as fast as the other cars. That's generally what you see when you mix up the rules and you see new people on top. This was just a very unfortunate change where one team had it more figured out than the others, right? It was just kind of like when we went into the hybrid era, it was Mercedes. Like, this Mm -hmm. is just Mercedes land. And finally, Red Bull's catching up. We're getting there. Boom, rules change. And it ended up being one of those rules changes where the front of the field was not competitive. Mm Mm-hmm. It is really interesting. I wonder, like, I know there has to be infighting about this, like, between everyone. I know they've got to be going at each other about this all the time. They absolutely have to be going at each other about this. And, you know, I mean, we'll have at least one more season like this, and they're definitely not going to go back in time. F1 never admits that it's wrong, but are we going to see some updates? What's going to happen? I don't know, because we are in for another era of dominance. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we're going to see this until 2026 uh, when the new engine regulations come into play. That's a long time. I know. I know. It's disgusting. That's Formula One, though. That's Formula One. I mean, Mercedes is out front for years and years and years, mm-hmm. and now Red Bull's going to be out front for years and years and years. In 2021, I think I told Alanis that this was that was the first race I'd actually physically attended that a Mercedes driver didn't win. Yeah, and I said I had actually seen Kimi Raikkonen win at Coda one time. Um, 
that was the first time I had seen a non-Mercedes win. Like it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And it was so exciting that Kimi yeah. Raikkonen won that race. It was like, yeah. what? Not a Mercedes? Yeah. I'd been to the Canadian Grand Prix twice. I'd been to Silverstone. I'd been to Austria. Like I've been to the US Grand Prix almost every year since 2014, but I didn't go the year Kimi won. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the year every- Kimi won was yeah. 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was a 113 race winless streak. So in Formula One, that is years. That is a long, 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 long time. So Kimi hadn't won in so long, and it was wild to see him win. You know, he was so excited. Yay, I won the race. Like, you know, he was thrilled. Totally. Was jazzed. <laughs> Maybe he cracked a smile. It's possible. Yeah. We'll find out what happens this weekend. But... We are about to hit our favorite segment, the best segment. It's Boyfriend of the Week. (laughs) Boyfriend of the Week is our recurring segment where we acknowledge who's the best. Can be anyone, a driver, a car, a moment, a team leader, a Redditor with a particularly hot take. Doesn't matter. You get the picture. Who is good enough to be our boyfriend? And remember, this is middle school rules. So just for this week, this is not a life partnership. Alanis, do you have a boyfriend this week? I have so many boyfriends this week. I have tons of them. Gunther Steiner was on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. We had two F1 drivers in the NASCAR race. Like uh, there was this cute photo of Gunther Steiner making heart hands on Instagram. But my question is a rules question. Am I allowed Mm. to pick a NASCAR driver as my boyfriend of the week? Legally. Legally. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. My boyfriend of the week. Hello, Tyler Reddick. Love you so much. Um, so this weekend, went to the NASCAR race. My my NASCAR driver, Tyler Reddick, I said, hey, buddy, let's go on some carnival rides. So he shows up in a golf cart, and we go on the roller coaster and the Ferris wheel, and we go over to the Toyota display because he's a Toyota driver, and they have a big cardboard cutout of him. And so we take photos with his cardboard cutout, and then I took photos of him with his merchandise trailer, and it's just a giant picture of him on it. And I got him to pose in front of the picture of himself. And then they had his his car on display out there. And this guy was taking a picture with Tyler's car. And Tyler goes, do you want a picture with the driver? And the guy goes, who's the driver? And Tyler was like, me. <laughs> and so we took pictures of him with the with the car and everything. The woman running the Toyota display was like, are you actually the driver or are you like an impersonator? Because if you don't know, there's a Ricky Bobby impersonator who goes to all of the races. And so I think she thought he was like a Ricky Bobby-esque impersonator. And he was like, no, like I am physically Tyler Reddick. <laughs> <laughs> we had a great time. We went on all these carnival rides. We did all this stuff. It was so much fun. And then on Sunday... Tyler wins the race and we went to victory lane with him. We took photos with the trophy with him. It was so much fun. And last time we did a stunt before a race, I took Tyler to medieval times and then he won the race after that. And this time we did carnival rides and he won the race after that. So if he makes NASCAR's final four, we are going to go to the race and do a stupid stunt. So Tyler wins the championship. Tyler, you are my boyfriend of the week. Thank you so much for being a good friend. I appreciate you. Elizabeth, who is your boyfriend of the week? I'm I'm going to throw a bone to to our F1 audience and say Carlos Sainz Jr. Because he he was live posting his way through his jet lag and his travel 
to get to Australia, it was so funny of just like his play by play of like, here's when I napped, here's what I ate. I'm trying to stay up for this leg of it, but I don't know if I'm going to make it. I also am going to do a NASCAR driver as well. I'm having two boyfriends of the week because two we, boyfriends. we accept polyamory in this household. Yes, we do. Uh, my second one is Brad Perez, NASCAR Xfinity Series driver, who very politely and kindly, when I texted him and said, hey, can I shadow you this weekend? He said, yeah, okay. Uh, so I got to <laughs> yeah, hang out okay. with him. <laughs> yes. So I got to hang out with him. Um, I hung out with him a lot, too. He's the best. Yeah, he's a great boy. It was his third Xfinity race. It did not go the way he wanted, but... It went well, so he's got he's got my heart as the boyfriend of the week. But fun fact, Brad mm-hmm. finished 29th in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race on Saturday, and Kimi Raikkonen finished 29th in the Cup Series race on Sunday. So, mm-hmm. 29th. Handshake me. Yeah. They both did it. What an incredible weekend. Elizabeth and I loved it. We hope you loved the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about everything that happened in the Australian Grand Prix. And I heard we will have a third person here next week. I, I don't remember who he is. I, I think his I name is know. Soul Burner. Soul Chaser. Soul Burner. If yeah. he comes back from the desert and he doesn't just like parch himself out there, it'll be great. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe. Tell all of your friends to tune into the show. And if you want to leave us a really nice review, we would love that. It helps us out. If you're not familiar with Donut, we have a YouTube channel as well as an automotive history podcast called Pass Gas, so make sure you check both of those out. You can follow the Donut Racing Show on Twitter, at Donut Racing Show. Alanis is at Alanis and King on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Aliz underscore Blackstock on Twitter and Aliz A. Blackstock on Instagram. And that other guy who sometimes shows up, he's Nolan J. Sykes on both. We'll see you next week. Bye! Bye! Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.